0: Hi, my name is Sean, and I'm an alcoholic. Sean.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Go to your room.
0: <laughs> and because of the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous and a loving God and a great sponsor, I've been sober since April 24th, 1974, and for that I'm very grateful. I live in Canada. British Columbia is two, Vancouver is about 250 miles north of Seattle, so I'm a Canadian. We're we're not that different from you. Kind of what we are is is unarmed Americans with health care.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: and it's uh it's great to be here. I mean I I I. I because I got a big mouth, I, I get asked to do this a lot. I mean, a lot. And, uh, and it's, I mean, it's an incredible honor and an incredible privilege that anybody would want to sit in a chair and listen to me babble. But, uh, mm-hmm. when I heard about this conference, when I heard about the World 62, this is the only conference in the entire time that I've been sober that I've ever asked to be, I've ever said, would you let me speak there, you know? <laughs> And, and the, and you have, and I'm, I'm really grateful. I really, I love this. I, I love the laughter. Where I'm from, Vancouver, our, our, we get a little medicinal up there. It gets a little, gets a little serious, you know. We, we, sometimes we tend to just be kind of free aftercare for recovery facilities, you know, and it, and it gets, (laughs) so it gets a little silly. Uh, One,
1: one,
0: one one of the topics at my home group one time was, was the value of journaling? I
1: said, "What the hell is that? I mean, what the, you know, what the hell is journaling?
0: I mean, that, you know, that's what they—that's what they make you write in the afternoon to keep the patients quiet. That's all that is, you know. Anyway, it just—it just gets really weird. But um, and I haven't got a clue what I'm talking about or going to talk about. So you bear with me. I um. Uh, I, this suit that they found for me, uh, in the, in, in the cloakroom fits me much better than Cliff's dogs, I, I thought. But, but, uh, I like this. I'm going to take this home. And, um <laughs> I got off the plane. I mean, I just, I, I got off the plane and, and I'm, I'm coming up the jetway and there's all these people standing waiting to meet people. You know, the, a, couple of, a couple of them with signs and I, I kind of went like this and looked. And standing over here are these three insane women. One with this, Unbelievably stupid hat on it. Oh, my people! Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs>
1: oh. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: I've been having some interesting times lately. There, there's a Chinese curse, may you live through interesting times, and, uh, and, um uh, I've been living through some interesting times and um uh, I'm I'm one of those I've I'm one of those blonde blue-eyed kids that got just fried every summertime you know I just got burnt to death and and I also uh, uh Cliff reminded me of some of my drinking uh you know about sunburned mouths and that kind of thing and I you know I have I have come too on beaches you know at, at like in the early afternoon cuz I was there from the early morning and I remember one time that I came to, and I was—I had about third-degree burns on this side, and the other side was pitted from the gravel. You know, <laughs> you know so that kind of thing happened to me a lot, and uh, and I'm I'm now uh, over 50. So um, um, about a month ago, I got to sit in this little room with one of those one of those hospital gowns on that tie up the back, and and this these six doctors came in and they looked me over, and, uh, and then they all went out, and then one, I guess they drew straws, and one of them came back in and said, now, here's the deal, Sean, and I said, yeah, I'm really anxious to hear this one, and he said, uh, we can remove 90% of your ear, or we can, um, we can do a a series of radiation treatments to, uh, to cure the tumor on your right ear, and I said, gee, I mean, there's six of you and one of me, how much does my vote count? (laughs) And, uh, he said, let's start with the radiation. So I said, gee, that'll be fun. So I just finished three weeks of radiation. What I've done is every morning I've gone in and, and, and what my right ear feels like is that they put it in a microwave every morning. I mean, it just, it, it now I know how hamburger feels. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I may turn into a vegetarian because of this, but, uh, um, so, so he said, now if, we, if we have to do the surgery, we, we, what we do is we photograph the ear before we go into the, uh, into the radiation thing. And I said, oh, why is that? And he said, because we can make a prosthesis, a fake ear that attaches with a magnet. I said, oh, gee, that's interesting. You know, oh man, let's talk about that. For some, you know, and he said it'll be a perfect match and it attaches. So I'm thinking, you know, oh, one, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, well, the, the interesting thing about... The reason I'm telling you this whole dumb, boring story is that throughout this, I never thought about a drink. And that's a miracle for a guy like me. I mean, I thought about how I'm going to look at a page boy haircut, you know. <laughs> you know.
1: <laughs>
0: I thought about how I'm going to grow the world's weirdest comb-over, you know.
1: <laughs> and then
0: I got to thinking, hey, you know, this fake ear thing ain't so bad, you know. I could have, like, an assortment of them, you know, I know. You know, I thought like a Vulcan ear would be fun, you know. And then you know, and then I could have one with jewelry on it. You know, just a lot of jewelry. That would that be good. And then I thought, oh, you know, and then the other thing is is that I could just kind of take it off, you know, and hand it to Bonnie and say, Here, you take my inventory, I'm gonna take a nap. So you know, so it ain't all bad, you know. Like, yeah. So, so. So here I am, you know, with one bright red ear, and I, you'll notice that I'm growing my hair a little long. I mean, vanity does not die with sobriety. I have, uh, you
1: know,
0: just creepy. I, uh, and I, I, and the reason I'm here is that, I, is that I I love to drink. I mean, let's get that out of the way. I mean, I just love drinking.
1: I just love it. I
0: loved everything about it. I loved I love the festival of it. I mean I don't really love the effect but I love I love the rituals, you know, I love the I love the ice cubes and the glasses and I love you know, I love I love toothpicks with things on them. You know, I, I love drinking stupid things and coconut shells with umbrellas and I mean I, and I love that I love the whole kind of thing about bar you know, I love those intense intellectual conversations we got into, you know. <laughs> Reappointing the Supreme Court. You know, I love those, and I love those. Uh, I love those meaningful relationships that sometimes lasted all night. You know, I, and, uh,
1: and I love those kind of
0: heart-starting things. You know, when you come to at eleven o'clock in the morning with a wine hangover, and you're lying next to it, <laughs> and you don't know who it is, <laughs> or what it is,
1: <laughs> and
0: you don't know what you've done with it.
1: Or what you promised it. And you have to
0: you have to get up and get out of there without waking it up, you know, finding your clothes and getting dressed real quick and kind of sneaking out, you know, and I mean that's bad enough, but one one morning you come to and it's awake and it's looking at you and you look into its eyes and you realize you have become it's it. <laughs>
1: That's a pitiful
0: and incomprehensible demoralization they talk about, and and that happened to me a lot. I I uh, I wasn't like Cliff. I wasn't a fighter. I was a lover, and oh my god! I I, I became extremely grateful for blackouts. I mean, I just. I'm just so glad I don't remember some of that. I just, oh. The only trouble with being sober is is that is that they, it, blackouts kind of, you know, the, the things you go through drunk after you've been sober for a while, they just kind of bubble up like lava, you know, they kind of go, Bull. they come to the surface, you know, so I'll be driving along the freeway and all of a sudden I'll go, ah! you know, and, and body will say, oh, remembering something, dear? But oh God, I love to drive. Gr- and you know, every time I come to these conferences, is, it reminds me of the way that I drank. Because I, I take planes, you know, and that's that's what drinking was. You know, you, you know, the the runway was those 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 ones to get you, you know, just get up the speed, just get the medicinal ones, you know, just the medicine, and then and then you get up enough speed, and all of a sudden there was that moment of liftoff. You know. Yeah. <laughs> when I was fabulous, (laughs) when I was everything I needed to be, when I was, you know, tough but tender, you know, (laughs) sexy but sensitive, (laughs) great dancer but fast with my fists, you know, just just wondrous, you know, and then the plane would crash. And the trouble with my drinking is, is that the runways got longer and the flights got shorter. That's basically what happened and and eventually the the cost of 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 that moment, the cost of that moment crushed me. you know and you know Cliff talks about the eight minutes, and that's what it was with me i mean I mean that moment was so exquisite when everything went together, when I was everything I needed to be. That I became willing to pay a higher and higher price for it i also uh you know um, i got i my drinking involved the the sixties I, I don't remember much of the seventies but uh, the sixties were were my time and uh and uh so i um uh, i've not only been sober since not only not had anything to drink since uh, april twenty fourth nineteen seventy four but i have had no self administered mind altering chemicals since that time either and for that I'm really grateful because uh I drank a lot and I and I took a lot of drugs and the, and the drugs were mainly designed to kind of either enhance or diminish the effects of the alcohol they were kind of an, an adjunct to it and uh and it was wonderful I mean I played in the wonderful world of chemistry for a long long time I uh I started getting drunk when I was 14 years old I started taking drugs when I was 17 years old by the time I was 20 I was a daily blackout drinker and, uh, and I did that until I was 31 years old when I crawled into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, and I'm one of those ones that was too stupid to leave. I mean, I, I just, I, I, you know, I, I, I just was flat out of any more ideas when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't have, I had done everything that I could think of to avoid coming here. I mean, I had been to psychiatrists and, and social workers and gurus and, Religious leaders and, and I had married above my station. I had done everything, you know, everything to avoid coming here. And, uh, and so when I got here, I realized that this was the last house on the block, you know, and, and if I didn't belong here, I was lost. If I didn't belong here, there was no hope. So I was desperate, desperate to belong here, but I didn't want you to know that. You know, I was, I was, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I had that that thing. You know, that the the wonderful newcomer thing. You know, you know, don't touch me, but don't leave me alone. You know, you know, stop looking at me, but don't ignore me. You know. <laughs> and if you stop talking, I'll start screaming. Oh man! Alcoholics Anonymous was exactly as I feared it was going to be. It was in a church basement. It had gray walls and a low ceiling. It was filled with smoke, and all those people that I never would have drank with were here. And it was a real slow night.
1: <laughs> because,
0: there, And there were about 400 people there. I got sober in Hollywood, California, of course. I mean, every screwball in the world ends up in Hollywood. And I don't know. It must have been... I, it, it, there were 400 people at this speaker meeting, and it was like being dropped into a shark tank. I've never seen so many teeth coming at me in my life. I was just saying <laughs> Oh, God. Oh. oh. you were the cheeriest bunch.
1: <laughs>
0: oh. And you kept, I mean, you, you would hold my, you would shake my hand. You wouldn't let go of my hand, you know. You'd hang on to me. And, I, and, you'd, and you'd pull me in and you'd say weird, you, you, weird, easy does it. Easy does it.
1: Easy does
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> Keep coming back. Why? <laughs> oh man, my life was dribbling down my sleeve, and it was, and it felt like I was being stoned to death by fridge magnets. You know, easy does it. Keep coming back, one day at a time. This too shall pass. The, you know. <laughs> And of course I didn't know what the hell you were talking about. I mean, you could have been talking to me in Swahili. I hadn't no a clue what you were saying, but you sure seemed to be pleased about it.
1: <laughs>
0: and, and I, I thought, oh man, this is my life now. I mean, this is it. It's over, you know. I want you to know that I, I came to my first alcoholic, I looked fabulous at my first AA meeting. I had on a, <laughs> I had a, this is 1974, I had on a $250 sports jacket from Saks Fifth Avenue. I had a French gabardine slacks, Italian loafers, and a designer tie. I was dressed pretty much like I am today. Uh, I looked,
1: <laughs>
0: I looked the, the only trouble with the picture was that I had, uh, I had fingerprint <laughs> ink on my, you can't, you can't get that stuff off, you know? I had been busted the night before with the, Dead drunk with the front of my pants from the waistband to the knees soaked in my own urine. I was a really pretty picture the night before.
1: <laughs>
0: and I had newcomer eyes. Now the only other place I've ever seen eyes like that other than on a newcomer in Alcoholics Anonymous or on a dog loose on a freeway. <laughs> I was just terrified. Just, I mean just that, that kind of, that kind of sick to your stomach wild terror. You know, just, oh my God, yeah. And, uh, uh, I, my first meeting, I sat next to, uh, now I'm, you know, I'm in, I'm in my blazer and, and, and looking spiffy, and I sat next to a little guy named Jimmy. Now, Jimmy in, in, in Hollywood is fairly well known. He's this, he's a little black guy who's been sober for a long, long time, but he has problems other than alcoholism and, and uh, they were in full flower that night and he was sitting next to me and he talked to the speaker so as the speaker shared his guts this little guy would go yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then we sing happy birthday and he loved to sing happy birthday at the top of his lungs and he he had no rhythm and had absolutely no idea of a tune. Just screeching happy birthday. And I'm trying to be kind of, you know, I, I understand I gotta be an alcoholic Anonymous, but let's keep it light, man. You know, I mean, I, you know, and of course every time he would make this noise, everybody would turn to look at Jimmy, and I'm sitting next to Jimmy, like, I belong with him. I, I'm like, <laughs> I thought, this is it. This is, I mean, this is my life, you know.
1: <laughs> I had,
0: um my wife wasn't at home the night that I got sober. Um I was grateful for that. Thank God, you know, thank God, she was, her pre-Alanonism was in full flower, and uh, if she'd have been there that night, we'd have figured out that it was their fault somehow that I had gotten busted and fingerprinted and photographed. And and so she wasn't there, and and for the first time in my life, I put together my behavior with my drinking, and that was once you've done that, you're screwed. i mean once you once that connection is there, there's no way that you can get away with anything anymore. I mean, you can rationalize and deny, but it's there in your gut. I mean, you just know you know, and so it was over, and uh she was off saving somebody who didn't need to be saved. she was uh oh man um. You know, Marion Alanon is like, you know, b- buying a, a hospital clinic. You know, it's just, you know, she was just,
1: <laughs> man,
0: she was concerned about my health and well-being to the point of almost killing me. But I, uh, so a week later she came back home and I, I had a week of sobriety and by that time the thing had happened. You know, I was just, <gasps> you know, I, 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 I hadn't had a drink in four days. I mean, I, I, I thought, oh my God. You know, and, and I, I was about ready to take the big book and go save everybody, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, so I explained that there was a place for her, and she was just thrilled at that. <laughs> really loved the idea of going someplace to support my sobriety. By that point, my little adorable wife's lips had disappeared, you know. Uh, Al Anons get like that, you know. There was nothing funny in that woman's life. I mean nothing amused her, nothing. I mean she was a little grim. And uh so she went off to Al Anon and uh she's been there ever since. And uh wow. What you Alanons have done is just, she's, uh, she's great. She's terrifically. We're still married. I, um, I once had a guy, <laughs> I was once sponsoring a guy and we got to talking about relationships. There's a surprise. And,
1: uh,
0: <laughs> I think he had 30 seconds of sobriety and wanted to get married. You know that.
1: <laughs>
0: so we got to talking about relationships and one point he said, you know about relationships? You've only been married once.
1: (laughs) I conceded.
0: I mean, yeah, you're right, man. You know, what do I
1: know?
0: (sighs) I know. I I got my sponsor the first night that I was sober and he started shoving the 12 steps down my throat. We didn't, I didn't get to go to any of those meetings where we discussed them. I just took the damn things. You know, I didn't understand what they were, I didn't know what the social ramifications or the psychological <laughs> benefits of taking them were going to be. I just did them because I thought if I didn't, I was going to drink again, and I didn't want to drink again. I was absolutely terrified that if I didn't do what I was told, I would, you know, that I was going to die. I loved the fact that it was that urgent with me, despite the fact that I looked kind of casual on the outside. <laughs> I, I always went to an AA meeting dressed. I I I always had a, a jacket and a tie on. I don't know. I've always felt that a, a blazer is suitable protection from anything. And uh <laughs> and uh and so I I would so <laughs> they they asked me to participate real fast and uh so I remember I was about 4 or 5 days sober and they got me to read chapter 5 and I I read it and the and the and the leader, the chairperson of the meeting said it was the first time she'd ever heard it read in one breath.
1: <laughs> i was a little quick when i got here I, I was coming off of
0: a lot of stuff you know because the the woman who had 12 stepped me explained to me what what sobriety was and I, I can see i you know i knew it was the drinking and she said uh she said uh this was 26 years ago and she had six years of sobriety at that point so and this is what she had been told 32 years ago and she said we consider sobriety in Southern California to be clean and sober, and I said, mm, "What exactly does that mean?" And she said, "That means we don't drink and we don't take any self-administered mind-altering chemicals that affect us from the neck up." And I was real disappointed at that news.
1: So what happened
0: is I I detoxed in Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, I didn't know you got to go someplace for 28 days. Well, you didn't, then. I mean, there weren't, you know, I didn't I didn't know. So I was just kind of like, you know, twitching and. Yeah. You know, there were lots of us there, you know. Uh you know, th- th- what's interesting is the insurance industry, you know, we've now ma- you know we've now managed to burn up the insurance industry. I mean <laughs> yeah. I mean there's an entire industry that needs to go to Al Anon now, you know. We,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> we just shredded them, yeah. <laughs> Coming back for the fifteenth twenty-eight day recovery. <laughs> Weren't you just here?
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, but I don't have a place to stay.
1: <laughs>
0: so now they're getting back to seven day detoxes, you know, come on, let's get them drunk and get them the hell out of here, you know. And so we're starting to, we're going back to like the old days. I mean, I, the, I loved Alcoholics Anonymous when I got into it because it was kind of sleazy. You don't want to tell anybody you were an AA, you know, ooh <laughs> you know. It was before I got to be the disease of the week. And uh so it was kind of tacky to be an AA, you know. <laughs> and and people used to have grandmar seizures in AA meetings. It was really kind of entertaining, you know. Was, <laughs> and some old timer would stick his wallet in the guy's mouth and then they call nine eleven and the meeting just went on like nothing had happened. You know, it was just great. But it scared the shit out of the newcomers. You know, you just go, no, you know. And your sponsor got to say, keep drinking, that'll happen to you. you know?
1: Man, you know.
0: You know, it wasn't if you keep drinking, you have to go back to Sunnybrook Farms for 28 days, you know. So it was real immediate, Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's great. So I was afraid that I didn't want to do that anymore. I didn't... I... I did There was a lot of stuff I didn't want to do anymore. You know about all this stuff we don't want to do anymore, you know. Dry heaves. Yeah. I haven't missed those. I don't know that.
1: I'll
0: give you an idea of what kind of drinker I am. I mean, you know, inappropriate responses has always been my problem. You know, it's just, you know. I was a young actor in, 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 uh, in New York City. I did a lot of musicals and stuff like that. And I, I was kind of an up and comer. I was, uh, and, uh, I, I was dating this girl who, who, uh, invited me to a Christmas party on Park Avenue. And it was, it was a, a very famous Broadway producer and his wife. And the movers and shakers of the musical theater were there for this, this particular party. And me. I'm a, you know, I'm a chorus boy from one of the musicals, and I get to go to this party. I mean, it was an amazing break for me, and if I handled it right, you know, could be really good. Well, those kind of things make me nervous, so, uh,
1: <laughs>
0: so I needed to calm down a little. So I had four scotches before I left the house, and uh, and I also had a cold because it was Christmas, so I had a little turpentine hydrate of codeine because, you know. <laughs> So, by the time I got to the party, I was boiled. And it was one of those, it was one of those Park Avenue apartments where you got on the elevator and then you got off the elevator and you were in the apartment. I mean, it was incredible. I'd never seen anything like that except in movies. And across this hallway, which was about as deep as this room, was this perfectly white Christmas tree. Now, this woman's, the reason they had this party every year was to show off her latest Christmas tree. She spent... Thousands on decorating, and they all had were different and had different themes. And this year it was all white. And uh, so I got a drink, and uh,
1: <laughs>
0: and then the wonder of blackouts. And and I, uh, the the next thing I know is that I'm standing in front of this Christmas tree, and there's somebody standing behind me who's who was making a sound that I suspect somebody makes when they've had their throat slit. It was this kind of... <laughs> sound. And I turned, and it was the hostess. And she was looking at the Christmas tree, and I followed her gaze, and directly in front of me was a bright yellow stain that was dribbling down the Christmas tree. I had done a little projectile vomiting, and... Uh, and the movers and shakers of the musical theater were standing around in a semicircle looking at this. And then the one, uh, God is very gentle sometimes with us drunks, guys. I handed her my drink and slipped back into the blackout. And I don't remember anything else about it, <laughs> but I didn't seem to be working as much after that.
1: <laughs>
0: so I drank. I drank a lot. And then the problem with this is, is, is I came here and you took away that moment. I mean, you took away liftoff. And I was angry. Because if you were going to take away liftoff, you damn well better give me something to take care of that. You better give me something. And so you started with the fellowship and, and massive amounts of coffee and ice cream and, and, and it was just crazy. I mean, the wonderful thing about getting sober in Southern California, and I would imagine the same thing here, was that it was joyful. It was joyous. It was funny and silly and, and there were a lot of people who were at podiums spilling their guts and, 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 and there was no, there was no segregation of it. I mean, what, what, what I was told is there's two kinds of alcoholics. There's men alcoholics and women alcoholics. And that was it. I mean, there were no special groups while people worked on their issues, you know? There were no gay groups, and there were no women groups, and there were no young people. We were all just in this room, just, you know, trying not to jump out of our chairs was what we were doing, you know? And thank God for that, because the women of Alcoholics Anonymous saved my life. I went to my sponsor when I was about four months over, and I said, I got a problem. He said, what now? And I said... Um, I have an identity problem. He said, oh, what? And I said, uh, I identify with the women when they talk. And he said, well, you idiot. That's because the women talk about feelings. And the men talk about events. And you haven't had a feeling in about 12 years.
1: <laughs>
0: but what they're doing is bringing up a whole lot of stuff. That's what's going on. I went, ah, oh, okay. You know, but thank God for them because they led the way for me. I had no idea how to express emotion. I had no idea what my emotions were. <laughs> I remember, I remember calling my sponsor one time and he said, no, you don't have the flu. You're just angry.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, I just, I mean, just totally out of it. I mean, just had not a clue. The first step was real easy for me to take. I mean, it was clear that my life was unmanageable. I could no longer predict what my behavior would be when I had a drink. I had a little trouble with the first drink because the the first drink for me was always the one. Well, it never counted. You know, I I made up a couple of rules for myself about four or five years before I got into Alcoholics Anonymous. One of them was that I never drank before five o'clock except on Sundays and holidays. And the other one was that I always drank from a glass. That was very important because my father was a drunk. And he drank wine out of round paper bags. And I knew if you drank directly from the bottle, you were drunk. So I poured the same rock gut that my father drank into a glass.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: we do what we can to avoid coming here, you know. I, and uh, so I, uh, <laughs> but I, uh, but I, I, couldn't, I couldn't predict what would happen once. It, you know, I, the first drink when I got home at five o'clock was, was the one that you just bolt back. You know, just that that's the medicine. They just whack get that one back. And then you go, Well maybe I'll have a drink.
1: <laughs>
0: nah. Boom. Nah. Yeah, no, yeah, okay. And then, you know and then I was I was drunk by, you know, seven o'clock in a blackout by eight o'clock and you know, passed out at eleven and that was <laughs> some really fun social drinking. Yeah. Oh man, uh, my wife is in Al-Anon and she, they get to work the 12 steps and drink at the same time and, uh, <laughs> well, well, if you'd call it that, I mean, have you ever watched Al-Anon's drink? It's just poignant. It's just pathetic. My sponsor, Milton and his wife Ruby and Bonnie and I go out to dinner and, and, oh god, and Ruby, Ruby's in Al-Anon and they, they occasionally they decide they're gonna have a drink. So Ruby will say to Bonnie, Do you want to split a beer? <laughs> so then they have this twenty minute discussion about whether they are or not. And then they decide to have it and they split a beer and they 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 they, they, they pour the drink and then and then Ruby it's never cold enough for her, so she puts an ice cube in hers and I go oh, yeah. <laughs> and then they drink about half of that and leave it. Just drives me nuts. And then and then Bonnie the occasionally we have Al parties at our house. And an Al Anon party is like when fifteen Al get together and split a bottle of wine.
1: <laughs> and then
0: and then at the end of the party they have this big long discussion about who's going to take what's left home. <laughs>
1: No, no, I'm not
0: going to take it. Mine's still drinking. No, 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 no. I, I, mine's new. No, no. I, I don't. I, we never use it. I don't even cook with it. Finally, one of them is like, Oh, for God's sake, I'll take it out.
1: <laughs>
0: then if she's leaving, the rest of them are thinking, I wonder if she's in the right program.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love Al-Anons. Al-Anons are not merely people who are married to alcoholics. Al-Anons are people who attend Al-Anon meetings who practice the Twelve steps of Al-Anon, the Twelve traditions are in service in Al Anon and practice the principles in all their affairs. And my life has been graced by one of those Al Anons for a long, long time, and I'm really grateful. I um the second step was was, was a little difficult. Uh, I came to believe that a power grader myself could restore me to sanity. I uh, <laughs> uh sanity was a was a, was an issue that uh, that I had very little experience with uh and uh I've been raised in an alcoholic home, so you don't have a, a real kind of firm foundation to kind of base principles on or anything else. I mean, it's it. it. Uh, the one thing about being raised in a, in a in an alcoholic home is that is that you become extremely flexible as a human being. I mean, you you know you can kind of you can kind of handle just about anything because just about anything is happening. And uh, but I was going to AA in Hollywood, and I mean there were some heavy duty crazy people. I mean they were talking about eating their own eyeballs. I mean you know we're we're talking we're talking nutzos, and mine was a little lightweight. I mean I did I never did any rubber rooms or paper slippers or no doorknobs on this side. You know I. I'm one of those nice upper-middle-class drunks. We went to therapists and talked about stress. And uh, and they wrote prescriptions for us, thank God. And uh, so I, crazy was a little hard for me. Uh, neurotic, I, that was interesting, but crazy. And uh, insane. But I, I, I had been assigned a new best friend. He had six months of sobriety and couldn't drive. and uh, And he couldn't talk and i had uh i was new i had no sobriety and i had a car and couldn't shut up so <laughs> and uh we were going to, we were going to a, a a meeting on friday night in beverly hills called rodeo drive if you ever go there uh it's it's really fun and uh it's one of those meetings where you can't wear the same thing you know in Every week, you know, you got you gotta have a new outfit to go to this meeting. And, uh, so we were getting ready to go and, 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 and Rich had kind of thin hair and it was the 70s. So what he used to do was he used to take what was left and he would kind of comb it all forward and then he would bend it over this way and then spray it. So he had like this hair helmet, you know, this kind of, and, uh, kind of like what I got right now and, uh, So it took him a while. While he was doing that one day, I I picked up an old medical dictionary that he had, and I looked up a definition of insanity. It was a great big, huge, long definition, but a sentence came out of the middle of it that enabled me to take the second step. And the sentence was, A seeming inability to learn from one's mistakes. (laughs) Let me run that by you one more time. (laughs) A seeming inability to learn from one's mistakes medical definition of insanity and that's what I had done i mean all my life i kept slamming up against the same brick wall and whenever i was in any trouble i never looked at how i got into the trouble i just looked at how to get out of the trouble so i never i lit as a practicing alcoholic i lit, i lived an unexamined life i mean basically a moving target is harder to hit is basically was my philosophy of life just keep moving never look back and uh and so it enabled me to take the second step. The third step was interesting because I'd been raised a, an Irish Catholic as opposed to a Roman Catholic. And I uh, <laughs> so I had I had trouble with that religion and it hadn't worked for me. And I had laughed it out of my life. And uh, and so there I was forced to make a decision about turning my well and my lo- life over to uh, a God that I was supposed to have some kind of understanding. And I thought in over to take the third step. You had to have an understanding. What that means is no matter how diminished your understanding is, take the third step. (laughs) And so I made a decision to turn my will and my life over to God. It doesn't mean that I I became spiritual. What it meant that I I had made a decision to take some steps to bring my life into line on some kind of spiritual principles. Basically, taking the third step is like deciding to buy a house. If I decide to buy a house, I don't live in a new house. If I decide to buy a house, I buy a newspaper. And then I read the real estate ads. And basically, I find a real estate broker, and we go look at some houses. And eventually, I make an offer on a house. And there's a counter offer and we come back and forth. And, and then we go into escrow, and there's a whole lot of stuff. And months down the line, I get the keys to the new house. The decision to buy the house is here. The new house is here. And in the middle of it are a whole lot of steps. And that's what the third step is about, is that I decide to take my some some steps in order to become a person who has some spiritual principles. And the first thing that I had to do was analyze the problem. And the problem was me. And so I had to write down everything I knew about me. And that's what the fourth step is about. And then what I had to do is take that and reveal it to somebody. Because I not only had led, led a life that was unexamined, I had never looked at my own life, let alone let anybody else look at it. However, if you knew, if you gathered 300 people together that knew me, you'd probably get the whole picture, but no one person had the whole story. So I took the risk, and it's the huge risk in Alcoholics Anonymous, to sit down with somebody that I had not known very long and to reveal who I was. I did it with my sponsor. We recommend that. In the big book, I know they talk about going to ministers and doctors and all that kind of stuff, and I don't know. It just seems like a cop-out to me these days. Uh, you know, and it, and it sounds like a great idea for me to go spill my guts to somebody I'm never gonna see again as long as I live. I mean, you know, just kind of keep it all secret. But instead I took it with the guy who saw me the next night and the next night and the next night. And what was wonderful about that was the telephone conversations with my sponsor after I'd taken my fifth step decreased from half hour to like five minutes. I mean, <laughs> You didn't have to do all the background stuff on all the problems, you know, because he had all the information. And then the dirty guy would do things like, you need to go over and talk to him because he has a similar problem to you. And go over and say, wait a minute, did you tell him? (laughs) He said, do you honestly think you told me anything interesting in that? I, You know, to this day, I've heard probably 200, 255 steps in my life in, in sponsoring. Let me tell you, the biggest responsibility as a sponsor is to stay awake.
1: because <laughs> there ain't no news.
0: I gotta tell you, I mean, man, there ain't no news so anyway, here was this guy who had all the evidence on me, and he started we started talking about the obvious defects of character and and and, and, and the things that needed to be done on it now some of the things some of the defects of character just evaporated because I wasn't drinking. They just went away. I mean, and there were some that were just kind of removed like a sliver. Just, you know, I identif- get, ooh, there's a problem. Hmm, here's the solution. Ah, God. And then there's those ones that God cuts out of you with a dull stone <laughs> knife and no <laughs> anesthetic. Those are the ones that are my coping mechanisms, you know. The problem with being an alcoholic, practicing an alcoholic, is you build a superstructure around your defects of character in order to keep your life contained. And once those things start changing, and they start dissolving and start going away, the superstructure is left. And that's the hardest thing to dismantle. It's ongoing. It goes on for the first 26 years, as far as I know. <laughs> The sixth step are basically getting rid of the things I do and the seventh step are trying to do the things that I refuse to do, (laughs)
1: like
0: acting. What's happening by the seventh step is I had some kind of idea of what the principles involved in being sober was. you know they 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 used to talk about the four absolutes in the in the early days and we've kind of gotten away from that you know we've kind of we've kind of gotten into live and let live a little too much in alcoholics anonymous i mean we tolerate a lot of bad behavior in this fellowship and uh and the wonderful thing is is that i i got hooked up with a bunch of guys that 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 didn't do you know i went i went to my i went to my sponsor what time and i said you know i i'm you know i'm i'm having i'm having a little trouble. i mean the, 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 the there's some people that are that are, you know, like, coming on to me. These AA And he said, stop doing that. I said, what? <laughs> he said, stop, this. stop flirting. Stop doing that. And I said, well, I, you know, he said, no, just stop doing it. I said, well, it, it's ingrown, it's ingrained in me. I mean, he said, no, 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 no. What we do in Alcoholics Anonymous when we're doing bad things, we stop doing them. And the reason we stop doing them is then the reason why we're doing them comes to the surface. If you keep doing it, you never find out. Well, whoa, what a principle. Isn't that an amazing way to live a life? Never would have occurred to me. <laughs> the eighth step, I had to write a list of all the people that I owed amends to. You know, not the people that I had, had harmed. You know, there were a lot of people that I'd been rude to and stupid with, but I mean the people that I had harmed. And I, and I did that and I, I went to him with a list and and we talked about it. And because he'd heard my fifth step, he knew who I was and he knew some of the some of the characters in my play. And so he 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 took some of the names off of the list. He added a couple others. But I mean, for instance, it was not necessary for me to pay back the two hundred dollars I owed my drug dealer. (laughs) He said, you're not going to go see this guy with six months of sobriety to tell him how well you're doing and pay him back. He said, he'd probably have a little something for you to celebrate with. And I said, well, you know, after all, I do. he said, wait, that's the cost of doing business. If you're dealing drugs, there's some bums that don't pay you.
1: <laughs>
0: so I never did that. I said, how do you, how do you make amends to your wife? How do you make amends to your, your mother and father? How do you make amends to the, your family? And he said, you stay sober for a very, very, very long time because they're all waiting for the other shoe to drop and uh and so I have to the day my mother died she thought Alcoholics Anonymous was a phase that I was going through (laughs) something like acne eventually it would all clean up and I wouldn't have to do this anymore and uh so she wasn't thrilled with that but uh we started on this journey and it's been a wild wild wondrous journey I when I was uh then I got I, the eighth and ninth step. I, I, I did all those stuff. I, I, I'm one of those people that believe you do the first nine steps in the first year of sobriety. And, uh, and I did all that stuff. And, and then I started into the tenth, eleventh, and twelfth step. And the tenth step is, is, that I, is that I look over my day on a daily basis to see what I've done. you know. And, and I had a lot of trouble with right and wrong. I mean, if I do something wrong, I, I, I beat myself up much worse than anybody else would do. And so I had to stop doing that. And so what I look at on a daily basis, I look at my day and I say, what did I do today that I approve of? And what did I do today that I don't approve of? And the stuff that I approve of, I let go. And the stuff that I don't approve of, I look at it and examine it and try to figure out a way that I can make that better. And that seems to be working for me. And the eleventh step is that I, is that I try to, I try to continue this, this, this contact with a higher power. And, and what an incredible journey that's been. Uh, it started with the third step and I, and I really wanted to have some kind of spiritual principles and I gotta tell you, I'm 26 years sober and God baffles me. You know? <laughs> I just can't figure it out. I can't figure out how. But you see, it's not about that. I'm not supposed to understand God. I'm supposed to accept God. And uh, and that's a huge, huge step. Because the problem with this spiritual thing is that there isn't enough proof. I mean, There isn't really enough proof that I'm an alcoholic. I mean, give me five minutes. I can rationalize the fact that I'd probably be just a heavy social drinker. You know, (laughs) there certainly isn't enough proof that there's a God. I mean, if there's a God, why Kosovo? You know, why would all this stuff go on in Africa if there's a God? You know, and and Alcoholics Anonymous works. I mean, I know lots of people who are dead and dead drunk who seem to be sterling members of this organization. So there isn't enough proof that I'm an alcoholic, that there is a God, and the Alcoholics Anonymous works. But what I have to do on a daily basis is make a decision that there is a God, and that I'm an alcoholic, and that AA works. And what I have found is that the comfort is in the belief. The comfort's not in the proof, because there's no way you can get the proof. The comfort's in the belief. And i got to tell you, if I die tomorrow flying home, and I, you know, And when the lights go out, I find out there's nothing else there. I'll have had 26 years of comfort. Because I believed there was something there. If I am ultimately proved wrong, who cares? Who cares? It's been an extraordinary journey. And I've seen miracles in alcoholics. And I've seen unexplicable things. Wondrous things. And so I keep moving toward the light. I keep trying to move toward the light. Even when it looks dim and, and when it looks like it isn't working. Of course I was waiting for a spiritual event in the twelfth step instead of having had a spiritual experience. I wanted an event. I mean I wanted the wind to blow up my butt like Bill Wilson, you know. (laughs) Yeah. I want something big, man. I didn't I didn't want this kind of slow revealing that there seemed to be some order in this life. You know, I want something big, man. And uh so far that hasn't happened to me. But the, the twelfth, the beginning of the twelfth step, and the twelfth step is really interesting because there's three parts to it. And the first part is having had a spiritual experience as a result of this, of these steps. And, and that's, that's the promise in the second step. That's the promise that I'll be restored to sanity. You know? A spiritual experience is a restoration to sanity. I mean, I, I have some edges to that. (laughs) But, I mean, I'm not crazy. I, I'm i not crazy. I can't cop to that. I mean, I can't come to an AA meeting and say, I'm so crazy. I just shot my mother, but I'm sober. And people go, <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm not crazy. I'm self-centered. I'm self-involved. I'm self-destructive. I'm selfish. I'm self, 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 but I ain't crazy. And I can't deny that there's something spiritual that's going on. I can't deny that I've had some experiences that point the way to the fact that I'm I'm living by some spiritual principles. And I carry the message whenever I can and however I'm asked and, and with, with people or with groups or however that, that comes down. That's, and, and the message basically is, if some smart ass like me can stay sober, anybody can. You know, the, the thing, the thing is, is you look around this room and it doesn't matter where we came from. It doesn't matter where we came from, Skid Row or Skid Place. It absolutely doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you we were, drinking in gutters or drinking in penthouses, it absolutely doesn't matter. Because the great leveling thing is that everybody in this room is faced with exactly the same problem. Sobriety. How in God's name do you stay sober? How do you do it? Life without a cushion. How do you do life on life's terms? What do you do about all that kind of stuff, you know? And that's the problem we all got in this room, and that's what we're sharing. Is This is how I've lived through this experience. This is how I've done what I've done. And, uh, and that's been, that's been the miracle for me. And then to practice these principles in all our affairs, the big hook right there at the end. Okay man, you have talked the talk, you have quit drinking, now who the hell are you? What exactly do you believe in? What about honor? What about dignity? What about responsibility? And those are big questions for a jerk like me. You know, it's all very well to walk the walk or talk the talk in here. But how do I apply this, the principles and how do I apply my sobriety in my workplace? In my home? In my living room? In my bedroom? (laughs) On the freeway? Mm. That's the hardest place. If you're thinking if any of you are really kind of satisfied with your spiritual condition, I got a test for you. <laughs> Drive from point A to point B on a highway and stay in the same lane. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm taking these things back with me and 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 taking them out there and uh this year has been an extraordinary year. I've I've had I you know I've I've had grand times in alcoholics anonymous wonderful times in alcoholics anonymous. The the thing is is that <laughs> what we promise you in alcoholics anonymous is, is not just a story. We promise you an adventure. I mean, it is. <laughs> it isn't it. And like any great adventure story, It's got really, really great parts to it and really, really lousy parts to it. You know, really bad stuff happens to people who are sober and really great stuff happens. And the thing is, is that we're constantly re-given the equipment to deal with both success and failure. And I've had enormous amounts of success in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I've had some enormous amounts of failure. We all seem to have an Achilles heel in our sobriety. There all seems to be like one area of our lives that will not get fixed, you know? And it's just unbelievable. Mine is the work area. Mine, you know, oh, man, it is just, you know? And I keep saying, maybe there has to be a solution to this. And somebody said, maybe there isn't a solution. Maybe there's just management skills. (laughs) I hate that. I just hate that. I mean, work has been really, really tough for me. And uh it looks like it's kind of straightened itself up now. But, oh, man, the last... last seven years. I guess cycles are in seven years. And I'm really looking forward to this next one. Ooh. I mean, all those no's. there's one hell of a big yes coming, I got to tell you. I, uh... I was in a particularly disastrous, uh, business, uh, uh, endeavor with, with somebody and, and, uh, I mean it was, oh man, I mean it was one of those, it was one of those horrible, I mean it wasn't like an explosion, it was like a slowly sinking ship. You know, it was like this, the business just kind of slowly capsized and then just kind of slid under the waves, you know, taking everything that I own with it. I mean, one of those really lovely, lovely things that everyone should go through sober.
1: <laughs>
0: and when I, when I approached Bonnie to, uh, to put a third mortgage on the house, she, uh, she said, I want to know exactly what is going on. And I told her, and uh, the miracle of Al-Anon is it has allowed her to get in touch with her feelings. <laughs> And she basically tore a strip off of me and poured kerosene on it <laughs> and lit it. And, uh, and then we started trying to make all the things to avoid going bankrupt. And, uh, and we did it. We moved out of the big house and bought a, a condominium. And, and, you know, it, th- this is not a, this is not a, uh, I mean, we didn't end up on the street with all our furniture or anything, but I mean, for, it, it was a very, very tough time for us. And then I went out looking for work, and I'm in my mid-50s, and it's it's really swell being interviewed by guys whose skin hasn't cleared up yet. You know,
1: <laughs>
0: <sighs> you know when you walk in, they say, can I help you with your chair? You know, oh, come on. And uh, so, I mean, I had a series of just, and it got so desperate that I took a job in Alcoholics Anonymous. I... Uh, <laughs> I, I became the manager of the intergroup office in our, in our hometown in Vancouver, and it started a 15-month nightmare that was, it, it was, it, it was a nightmare that I couldn't wake up from. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and eventually they fired me. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was the most hideous experience of my sober life. And, uh, So I fired back and, uh, and, uh, we, we just, we just settled a, a, a wrongful dismissal, uh, arbitration in my favor in March. And thank God that was over because that was, that was hideous. It was hideous because I saw a side of Alcoholics Anonymous that I had never been aware of, that I never had to experience and that I hope I never have to see or experience again. However, if the same, circumstances came up and faced with the decision that I had to make I would make the same decision because Concepts talks about Alcoholics Anonymous ought never be personally punitive and that's what had happened it had gotten extremely vicious and extremely personal and they had done this kind of thing to several other people that they had hired and 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 fired under these kind of circumstances and and it was an injustice and the problem with with having principles is that you can't walk away from that kind of stuff. You can't quietly walk away because if you do, you say that's okay. And it was far from okay. So I had to stand. And, uh, and it was a very lonely stand. A lot of people didn't want me to do it. My sponsor didn't want me to do it. My wife certainly didn't want me to do it. But I couldn't walk away from it. And, uh, and so, uh, we did what we had to do and eventually it got settled. My, uh, my mother died, uh, in February. My mother was, uh, Uh, and uh, a pre-alanon from, I mean, just, my father was a raging, charming, wonderful drunk, and, uh, and, uh, I mean, mothers are, mother was in a home, uh, mother was in, you know, one of those care facilities, and, and, uh, she was, she was a, a, mother, mothers can, I mean, they can get you. It doesn't matter how old you are or how sober you are. They get, they can get you. You know, they, they got all the equipment. They got all the ammo. You know, I, I went to see her one day. It was a Sunday and, and I said, how you doing, Mom? And she said, nobody's come to see me all week. And I said, Mom, I was here on Wednesday. And she said, oh, you.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> you go, oh, God. Okay. So, uh, she had a, she had a, uh, uh, a a a really major stroke and 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 we took her to the hospital and and she was on life support and and my brother and his wife came and and his children and and my wife and my child were there and we were all around her bed and uh and we made the decision to take her off life support and it was a it's a terrible decision to have to make i mean it is a terrible terrible decision some decisions some decisions i mean there's no clear there's no way you can get away with that one you know, the only thing you can do is mess make the best of some lousy choices. And the choice was is that is that we would we would do that. And so we took her off the life support and, and she started. I mean, she kept breathing and kept breathing and kept breathing and kept breathing. And we we're all waiting for the moment. She kept breathing and kept breathing. And I mean, you know, four hours later, we're still standing around and mom's still going strong. And we, we thought, well, this is great, you know. And uh and so. I said, I've got to get a cup of coffee. We all said, oh, let's all get a cup. So we go out into the hall and the nurse comes out and says, she's, she's, she's going. So we go running back in there. We're all around and, and it was clear. I mean, she, her, her breathing got very, very labored and, and eventually it stopped. And, and all of us felt it, you know, and, and, and everybody was kind of immobilized and, and I was standing nearest to her and, uh, And the nurse took her pulse and said, She's gone. And so I leaned down to close her eyes and said, Goodbye, Mom and I kissed her on the forehead and as I did that she went (coughs) uh, we all went. "Ah!" (laughs) (laughs) She got the last shot in. I mean just you know Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. God love her. (laughs) So then I went and uh we 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 took care of all that and did all that kind of stuff and uh and uh I I I got a a, a call for a, for a job and I went in to interview it and 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 I got this job it's a terrific job and the reason they the reason they hired me is cuz of my age <laughs> uh and my experience and and, and they needed somebody uh, I'm in, I'm in, uh, I, I do marketing stuff for, for a real estate company and, uh, and, and, you know, like 70% of the real estate agents are, are, you know, over 50 and so they needed somebody who could talk to them and, uh, so that's what I do. <laughs> and, uh, and it's terrific and, and some of you know Kate. You have beautiful and intelligent children. I have Kate and, uh, she's, she's extraordinary. She's, uh, now 18 years old and, and she's tall and redheaded and beautiful and, uh, she has a smart mouth. I, I don't know where she got that from. <laughs> must be from her mother. And, uh, and, and she's, she's been raised in, in these rooms with you people. Uh, she's always been kind of around Alcoholics Anonymous and Al Anon and, 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 and the incredible thing for our, for our, ch- our children, we don't realize some of the benefits of, Kate has, Kate has been in these rooms with, with, with you and, and, and she is absolutely, totally fearless of people. She has no fear of people. She has met every kind of human being there is on the face of the earth <laughs> in I said, I mean, there's just, she's not in awe of anybody. She just says, hi, my name's Kate, yeah. And, uh, she's just, she, she, she has this kind of, she has this kind of sense of herself that, that, she was six years old and one day she said, you know dad, I'm the best artist in the class. And I said, really honey, who told you that? And she looked at me and she said, no one.
1: <laughs>
0: I went, man, I mean, you know, I'm almost 58 years old. I can't make that statement. I mean, you know, I gotta have 150 people tell it to me or I don't get it. <laughs> so she's, uh, She's off on her journey. She's going to Europe. She wants to go live in Europe for a year and, uh, and do whatever she's going to do and, <laughs> oh God. Probably <laughs> <laughs> fall in love with a gondolier. <laughs> <laughs> and my beloved Bonnie is, is, is going through. We're, we're going through some interesting times in our house. I'm, I'm, I'm 58. Bonnie's 53, and Kate's 18, and and it appears that Bonnie and I are both going through menopause, and uh, and Kate's in puberty, and oh man, I mean, so we we work on responding rather than reacting to each other, and uh, and uh, it gets it gets a little dicey sometimes, but it's it's certainly not dull. It's certainly not the point. I don't know how the hell to sum all this up. I, other than to tell you that, uh, that I wouldn't have missed this thing for anything, you know. I could have had one more drink and missed this whole damn thing. You know, I, I, I could have, I could have not known you. I could have not been here. And, uh, and I would regret that. Uh, you, uh, You've always been my teachers. Um, not so much by what you say, but by how you walk and what you do. And My search for God has been made easier a lot in, in Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I I believe that we are created in the image and likeness of God. I don't believe it's in the way we look. I believe it's in the way we act. I believe when we're loving, we most closely resemble each other and God. And And I see it when some Little old lady says to some 15 year old punk, you know, with green spiked hair and everything else pierced. Come sit next to me, dear. I see the family resemblance, you know. I see it when an older man holds a young man while he cries his guts out after doing his fifth step. I see the family resemblance. I see it by the guy who takes the bus down to the central office and buys the literature and takes it back on the bus with a In a cardboard carton, I see the family resemblance. I see it, the women who get here and put the coffee on an hour and a half before the AA meeting so that it's hot in there. I see the family resemblance. The reason I keep coming back is I keep seeing the family resemblance. And I need to see it because some days my life overwhelms me and I get confused about God. And I come and sit in these rooms and I listen to you share your experience, strength, and hope. And I watch how you act to each other. And despite the fact that I've been really hurt and 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 by 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 some of the people in the fellowship, I keep looking for the resemblances and and every time I look, I find them and uh and I also still look to you to guide me in the rest of my life. You've always been my teachers, and so I always consider this kind of thing, an opportunity to, to stand before you and, and, let you know how I'm doing. To tell you who I am. So that you can make a judgment call on what my progress has been. You are my teachers and you get to grade me. Be gentle. I, uh, I am a work in progress. I, I know I have a long, long way to go, but because of you, I have come so far. And I'm really, really grateful. God bless you.